my name is Zach Como, and you're listening to the My Tech Decisions Podcast. Back to the My Technicians podcast. Like I said, my name is Zach and I am your host. In today's episode, we explore a cyber attack that was reported at the water treatment facility in the Florida city of Old Bar last month. According to officials and news reports, an unauthorized user attempted to increase the levels of a chemical to an amount that could have made the city's drinking water poisonous. The attacker attempted to do so through the popular remote access software TeamViewer. To talk about this, we have Damon Small, the Technical Director of Security Consulting at NCC Group North America. Damon and I talk about how this attack could have been prevented and how public utilities can better prevent compromise, and that includes more secure ways to use remote access software. Before we get to that interview, here's a quick reminder that the My Tech Assistance podcast is available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Download and subscribe to hear weekly interviews with IT experts that can help you make the right decisions. And now here's Damon Small. So, uh, yeah, what do you know? What do we know about this attack and uh, how it happened? Um, and you know, I understand that it was, it was leveraging some remote control, remote access uh, software that's you know commonly used um, for a lot of different applications. Um, yeah. So yeah. So how did this happen? Yeah, so you're spot on. It, it was a remote access software. Specifically, it was TeamViewer um, was the software. And, I, and I'm pretty sure you already know this from having read your previous articles. But um, we, it, it's unclear. I haven't seen any additional details since the initial attack. But it would appear that there were, were shared credentials that were used. And an adversary, an unauthorized user, got a hold of them somehow. Now, there's a lots, lots of ways this could possibly happen, and we're not sure, but it was either, you know, possibly a, a former employee or a disgruntled insider that had access to those credentials, or it were credentials that were otherwise found in some sort of password dump that, that had occurred. Either of those are certainly possible. Now, uh, the fact that the adversary had remote access to this operator's workstation for such a short period of time, I think the, the victim themselves said it was something like five minutes. So, so that's not long. Um, and the adversary was able to go in and immediately go to where he or she needed to go in the software to start messing with the formulation of the water that was being treated. In my opinion, that strongly suggests that was someone who knew what they were doing. This is someone that was already familiar with the software, that knew what havoc they wanted to wreak, and, and then they wreaked it. So, again, I don't know, but this really looks like someone who, who knew what they were doing from the outset. Um. So what, what, why do these kind of attacks on critical infrastructure like, you know, water systems keep cybersecurity experts up at night? Why, you know, <laughs> why, why are these so important to protect, to protect against? And, and what is the difficulty in 
uh, protecting this kind of attack? So, uh, yeah, really good question. Uh, being in cybersecurity is a is a delicate balancing act because. As an information security professional, me and all of my colleagues <clears throat> in this industry, we're all charged with trying to protect information assets. Um, but we have to do it in a way that is not going to interrupt the business that we're trying to support. So the first part of your question is, what? why are these attacks so important? Well, if I'm a, a criminal or a terrorist, one easy way to disrupt the lives of a lot of people is to start messing with public utilities. Uh, water is a good one. I mean, I mean, we're, uh, you know, not all areas of the world have access to fresh, clean water. So we're very fortunate to have that. And if you interrupt access to that or make it poisonous, bad things can happen. So it, it's an easy way for a terrorist to inflict maximum uh, impact upon a population uh, of people, uh, and, and and it's not just water. I, I, I mean, I, be, before this interview started, you and I were chatting. I live in Houston. Texas had a bad time during that that winter storm that we got, um, and uh, so when the power grid is interrupted, that can that can disrupt the lives of a large population as well. And uh, the Department of Homeland Security defines critical infrastructures in very specific ways. They have a list. I think it's something like 19 different industries that are considered critical. And they include, uh, you know, commercial airlines and uh, oil and gas and utilities and water, um, you know, and so on and so forth. It's a lengthy list. So it's important enough for the Department of Homeland Security in the United States to be concerned about it. So that's, it's, it's definitely, we recognize these are interesting targets for the adversary. Um, what's the danger in utilizing a, a remote access um, program like TeamViewer mm -hmm. uh, you know, for these, these critical uh, systems? And, um, and on the flip side, what are, what are, what are the benefits? Because I mean, these, in most many cases, it, it's municipalities that are managing these these uh, critical systems. And I spent time as a as a local journalist for a few years uh, before, you know, in uh, an earlier career. And and these cities and towns really don't have um, the IT wherewithal and or the the, the budget to support, um, you know, better IT security. Yeah, I I, I think that's a. a I was hoping you would phrase the question that way because I was going to bring it up if you didn't. I, I mean, the danger of using remote access software was illustrated in Florida. That if an unauthorized user gains access to it, that unauthorized user can uh, do things that they're not supposed to do and can wreak havoc. You know, had had the attacker in the Florida case been successful, they could have you know made the water supply poisonous. Now, thank goodness that didn't happen. Uh, and part of the lesson we learned is that for every computer system that allows uh, for any kind of automation to take place, there's usually a human operator behind it. And in this case, the human operator noticed that something weird was going on and was able to intervene. Uh, the second part of your question is very intuitive, I would say, which is, why would they do this? I mean, I've had other people ask me, why would we even allow a municipality 
to use remote access software anyway. Surely it's too dangerous, right? Well, as it turns out, um, these are business decisions that are made. And I work for a consultancy. My job is to work with businesses and advise them on how to be secure. And the thing is, here's the controversial comment I've made. And I've made this before. And people that follow me will know what I'm about to say. Um, I will say there are no security decisions. There are only business decisions. Wait a minute. There are some business decisions that have a very, very important information security um, component to them. So I'm not saying that security is not important. But what I am saying is that it's information security's job to support the business. In this case, having on-site support throughout this municipality would be very, very expensive. Providing the ability to provide remote support or otherwise have remote access, um, it, it was, I, I can assure you that having on-site support would be much more expensive. Now, people will be quick, if, if you print this, <laughs> people will be quick to point out and say, oh, yes, but how much did that um, security incident cost the firm? I mean, they're, they're not wrong. I mean, yes, we have to always balance between, you know, the cost of providing remote access versus the cost of some incident happening. So I'm not saying the municipality is without fault here. They implement Using remote access in and of itself is not a bad thing. If you implement it in a way that doesn't include strong authentication and, uh, you know, something like multi-factor authentication, for example, and accessing it, you know, through a VPN, um, then, then yes, they, they have culpability here. They created the problem. So, I'm not going to demonize remote access. I would say there are, there are very valid business reasons for using remote access, but uh, there are ways that it can be done to ensure the safety of the information assets you're trying to protect. Right. So, you know, at municipalities, when when budget constraints, you know, do play a big factor in, um, you know, what gets funded, and usually um, IT typically isn't very high up on that list, you know, in, in my experience as a as a local journalist. Um, mm -hmm. when, when resources are tight, you know, what is the, the information security solution there? Uh, man, that is such, that is, yeah, another great question. And it's a hard one to answer because you're right. These municipalities, in, in, in the case of, you know, water utilities, their job is to provide fresh, fresh water to the residents and to treat wastewater, um, you know, in a way that maintains the health of everyone that lives there. That's their primary goal. So as a consultant, similar to you as a journalist, you know, I work with lots of clients in lots of different industries. So I've kind of seen how this plays out. Part of the problem is the further away your core competency as an organization is from information security, the harder and less efficient it is to perform that task of information security. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be good at protecting your information assets if you're a water utility or an oil and gas company or anything else. I'm just saying it's less efficient for you as an organization. So that's why consultancies exist. 
you know, they hire us to come in. So anyway, the answer to your question is each organization needs to figure out if an information asset becomes unavailable, how much is that going to cost me? How much is that going to impede my ability to perform the core competence of my organization? And, I, and when I say information asset, I'm not talking about computers, routers, and switches. I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, in this case, it was the SCADA system that controlled the amount of lie that was going into the water. So someone gained unauthorized access to it. They no longer had control of that asset. So, you know, you can extrapolate out. But the problem is we don't have a lot of good actuarial data to tell us how much an information security incident costs. We just don't know yet. I think someday we will. Anyway, the short answer is, I, I mean, each organization needs to figure out how long can they go without a computer-based system before it starts impacting their core business? And then how much would that cost you? That is the amount of money that it's worth spending to protect it. Easy, easy for me to ask the question, really hard to calculate. It, it, it's actually like, I wish if I could come up with that answer, um, you would never hear from me again because I would be rich and off living in New Orleans or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, right, on, uh, right on Bourbon Street. Uh. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, the attacks on municipalities are not slowing down. I think, I think you know, everyone's well aware of that. Um, and, you know, to my knowledge, there really haven't been too many attacks on public resources like that, at least publicly, there haven't been too many, you know, attacks on public resources like this. But, um, you know, what does the um, information security industry need to do to ensure that it stays like that and that, um, you know, attacks like these do, do not continue to happen? Yeah, I mean, they, they haven't happened a lot in the United States. I agree with you there. They, they have happened. I mean, they're, you know, uh, if you go back a decade or so, uh, Stuxnet was a very widely reported incident that took down several Iranian nuclear power plants. Um, and 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 so you're but you're not wrong. I mean, they haven't happened a lot in the U.S. What information security needs to do, um, I think, is I and I alluded to this earlier. It's easy for people like me who, you know, I make my living working with technology. I'm a computer nerd. That's what I do. It's easy to focus on the technology exclusively, and that's kind of risky. I mentioned earlier, it's all about the business. We have to understand information security in the context of the business we're supporting. Um, and dude, I will beat that drum forever because I think information security as, as, a, as a pure science is very, very interesting, but it only becomes really impactful to humans' lives when you look at it in the context of an applied science. Like, how do you consider the information security problem in the context of the business? So the way I will advise a water utility, for example, might be different than the way I advise an e-commerce company. Y you know, Information is very important to both of those businesses, but they're different businesses. They have different challenges. They have different workflows. And I need to be cognizant of that. And so what information security needs to do is like, yes, the technology is important. Absolutely. But consider the technology in the context of the business 
the the thing um oh man you you might have hit a hot button with me the thing that we talk about in information security so much is they say hey we're just we want a seat at the boardroom table information security wants to be represented with the c level executives and i think we should be but if we're going to be successful at that we the computer scientists have to learn the language of business it is not reasonable to expect the boardroom to become computer scientists. We need to speak their language, not the other way around. That's how we're going to be successful. Once we figure out how to do that, we'll be closer to solving this problem. Yep, you're right. Is one way to, <laughs> to speak the, the business language, um, utilizing scare tactics and, and you know showing them what happens you know when you let your guard down and an unauthorized user gets access and i think more importantly just how much it's going to cost the um municipality organization or whatever in the long run yeah i mean if we could if we can find a good way to do that calculation of how much it's going to cost the organization and and like you understand how it works right you have insurance on your car and you're never going to pay more for your insurance than what your car is worth, right? I mean, you know, you want you don't want the insurance to be more expensive. So it's the same deal. Like if if it's going to cost us a million dollars to recover from a per, a certain incident, then it's going to be worth it for us to spend up to, but not over, a million dollars to stop it from happening, right? So it's an economic. Part of it is the economics of information security, but I, I'm really reluctant to use scare tactics. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, after each time a major incident happens that makes the mainstream news, it helps us a lot. I'll be very honest with you. I mean, yeah, people see this in, in mainstream media. They're like, oh, this thing happened. It could happen to us. And it really helps out consultancies like MCC Group. Um, but I don't want to play the scare tactics. Yeah. Um, I would rather use empirical data and, again, shift the conversation from the technology to the impact to the business. And that's when you start getting people's attention. So you're not wrong. It's, it would be easy to do. You know, I could call every water authority in North America and say, hey, did you see what happened in Florida? You know, you should hire us and, and we'll stop this from happening to you. But I mean, yeah. like I, that's <laughs> when I am solicited in a similar way in my personal life, I'm not very responsive to that sort of thing. <laughs> and I, yeah, I don't imagine my. Yeah. So and I mean, avoid the FUD, avoid fear, uncertainty and doubt, you know, just like, you know, being down here in Houston. I spend a lot of time working with oil and gas clients, so I've had to learn about how the oil and gas industry works. So when I engage in a conversation with that sort of client, I'm talking uh, like primarily about their industry, secondarily about the information security. And again, I keep talking about how information security is secondary to the business. And again, I don't want to get hate mail. From every you know one of my colleagues in the industry, but I, I mean, I, I really strongly believe that we have to apply the computer science to the business, not the other way around. And so when I when I'm talking to a client, and sometimes if uh, like I um I don't know th there could be an industry with which I have very little 
experience. And one of our account managers will call me and say, hey, can you talk to this client about blah, blah, blah. I was like, I've never worked in that. I, I don't know enough about that industry. I can talk about InfoSec all day. But we always try and find people that are familiar with an, a specific vertical market before they start having the conversation about security. I think I think that's critically, critically important. And I think it's something that our industry could probably do better at, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think we've talked, you know, a lot about, you know, the high level about the specific incident, but on the on the very granular level, um, I think they they threw basic um cybersecurity best practices out the window. I mean, they're all using this, the same password for 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 TeamViewer, which I mean, I'm not I'm not even an IT expert. I'm a journalist first, and I'm you know slowly learning about IT as I as I go on this job. And I know that's just not what you do. Yeah, I, I know you're right. I, I mean, you know, should they be using remote access? Well, sure, remote access is fine. Should they have been using it in the manner in which they were? You're 100% correct. No, that shared passwords. I mean, by virtue of the fact that it was, you know, a shared screen and suddenly the, the mouse started moving around that, I mean, it, I don't know for sure, but it's an easy, easy guess that yes, this was a shared username and password. Don't use shared usernames and passwords. I think you mentioned it in one of your previous articles. Um, in addition to not using shared credentials, use um, you know, multi-factor authentication. There's a ton of good products that exist for multi-factor authentication. So even if someone gets a username and password, they don't have the second factor. Yeah. So they can't log in. And thirdly, probably don't expose these things to the internet. Require you to come in through a VPN. You know who the authorized users are, Right. I mean, these are your support staff, maybe their operators, maybe their IT staff, no matter what. It, it's it's not like you it, it's it's a publicly facing web server. I, I mean, this is so there are definitely use remote access all you want, but do it in a way that protects the safety of your information assets. And that that was the the failure was not the use of remote access. The failure was using remote access in an unsafe way. One one last parting shot, if I could, um, and forgive me, I, I did read your previous two articles, but I can't immediately recall if this came up. One question that people tend to ask is like, why why wasn't this a problem in the past? And when I say in the past, like you know, twenty or thirty years ago, a long time ago. Um, there's this concept of the convergence of OT and IT. So OT is the plant. Yes. IT is the traditional business network, like, you know, email and web servers and file and print, those things. Yeah. Used to, OT and IT never communicated with one another. And the way you protected your plant, the way you protected operational technology was that it didn't communicate with anything else. And if you wanted to attack a water treatment plant, to use that example, you, have to go there. You, would ha you would have to go there, you'd have to jump over the fence, and when you jumped over the fence, there'd be a guy with a gun and a dog yeah. who would be asking you what you were doing there, and that's how you would have to instrument an attack, was a physical attack. Well, now, time has passed, technology has gotten more sophisticated, more advanced, there are very real reasons why we're connecting the OT and the IT networks. And I mentioned that it's all business decisions. 
there's a lot of efficiency that can be introduced into the business by interconnecting these two networks. Now, now that they're interconnected, an attack can be launched from the open internet. So the same people that would ask the question, why do they have remote access, should also ask the question, why are you connecting OT and IT? And in both cases, as I've said, the answer is, these are business decisions. It can be done in a way that protects the information assets, but it's it's hard to do. Um, it's easy to set up TeamViewer. Uh, it's harder to do in a way that ensures that your stuff doesn't get hacked. That's that's what it comes down to. So, but, anyway, but is there is there a benefit in that convergence where um, you know IT can actually go in and you know provide some from some good insight on how you know efficiently these systems are working and uh, maybe you know extrapolate some data and and you know to better analyze you know the the efficiency of these systems. Oh my God, huge benefits, massive benefit. And that's exactly what's happening. We're taking data that used to only exist at the plant. We're sending that up to the enterprise, to IT, and they're doing, you know, they're running business uh, analytics against it. Uh, In some cases, I've got oil and gas clients that are sending data up to the cloud and they're doing artificial intelligence sorts of things. Um, and so, yeah, these these organizations are not foolish. For they're not just waking up one day saying, "Oh yeah, let's start connecting everything to everything else." No, I mean there there's very real money and very real. When I say efficient, when I say business efficiency, I'm talking about money. I, I mean it, it's they're able to operate more efficiently and in some cases more safely. You know, if a defect can be detected, you know the pressure is too high in a certain part of the pipeline. Um, you know, there's very real safety implications. Now, it, it, that sword cuts both ways. If you allow unauthorized access, then it's a safety problem also. I'm just saying we have to resist the urge to say, oh, well, these companies are foolish uh, for doing these things. Now, there's very real reasons why they do it. And there's very real ways that we can do it in a safe manner, as I've said. Um, but no, and the reason they do it is because there is tremendous value in the business having access to that data. Right. Damon, all right, well, thanks very much. I appreciate your time. You're welcome, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening to another episode of the My Tech Decisions podcast, where it's our mission to help you make technology decisions for your company. If you would like to learn more, head to mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at mytechdecisions. You can also follow me on Twitter at ZWcomo. Until next time.